Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning in to our church podcast. This week's sermon is from our series, The Core, where we are taking a look at the values of our church stands on. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Testimonies from beautiful young men and their families. Uh, I love it. With a tremendous amount of love, I say that. And, and one thing, he, he made that comment. He quoted me that I had a drug problem. My parents drug me to church. I got to tell this story. Went to Brazil last year. Going through a translator, I said that. Well, they didn't get it. But one man got it, and afterwards he came up with big tears in his eyes, and he said, you've encouraged my heart. And I said, why? He said, I have a son with a drug problem, and there's still hope. I, I'm not, it's not over. I got a phone call this week. We're going back to Brazil in October to, de- to, to conduct a pastor's conference, and they've asked me to come and speak at a drug rehab center. So praise Jesus. He works in mysterious ways. And so, uh, so I'm excited about this day, and I'm glad you're here. You've chosen. God has ordained for you to be here on a special day in the life of our church uh, because we're getting to ordain two fine young men, and, and I know them, and I know their families, and I love them, and they love me. And, and so in this series called The Core, where we're talking about our core values, uh, we're going to cover today leadership and service. And, and it's most fitting that leadership and service are core values in this series, and that is what the position of a deacon is. It's a leader, but more so it's a servant. And Jesus was a servant leader, and he is our our model. He is our template of how we're supposed to live as as Christians, but also as deacons. So we're going to be looking at at that today. Um, In the life of the church, as the church grows, it is imperative that the deacon ministry grows also, because the the requirements uh, and and, and the mandates that are placed on the, the pastor are greater. And so... We get to share the love, and, and God knew that, and it's not something, this ministry, this position is not something that the, that the 21st century church created. It, it, it found its inception in the early first century church, and the reason is because the church was growing, and because the church was growing, more needs were uh, coming up, and so the, the Holy Spirit inspired them to, to make this position called the the deacon. Now, the deacon in Greek is diakonos, diakonos. And, and, and by definition, I want you to hear what the position of deacon is. It is a caregiver, a waiter, and it means to kick up dust in haste. This person is a person who inside of them is a desire to serve other people. Now, the world's full of people willing to serve somebody themselves, okay? The world's full of people who are looking for someone to serve them, but the world is not full of people who their passion is to serve other people. And, and so that's what this position, by definition, is. Now, now there's some confusion in the church, and listen to me, as your pastor, we try... I try, I seek counsel from our staff, from our deacons, from, from other preachers. We try to be as close to our biblical model of the early church, as close to our template as we can. I, I try diligently not to get it wrong because God holds me accountable for that. And, and so, so even with deacons, we want to be sure that you understand as a church body, 
as a deacon, all of us, we, we want everybody to be on board of what a deacon is. And so today we're going to see four characteristics of the deacon. And the title of the message is the deacon. Now, I want to say there's no such thing as a deacon board. Have you ever heard of the name, oh, the deacon board? You ever heard of that? There's no such thing biblically. Now, I've known some board deacons. I've known some boring deacons, okay? But there's no such thing as a deacon board. There is a deacon ministry. There is a deacon body, okay? And they are called out, set forth, called by God, placed in their heart by God, called out and set apart by the church. And that is what we are trying to have here. Now, I want to say up front, you need to know as, your, as the church, you need to know how healthy your deacons are spiritually, how healthy the relationship between your deacons and your pastor is. And I want to tell you, it's awesome. We have the most amazing group of deacons here. We have the most amazing group of deacons and wives and families here. And they love me and I love them. Now you say, well, you're the preacher. You're supposed to love everybody. Well, you are too. You're a Christian. We're supposed to love our enemies. And unfortunately, in many churches, the pastor and the deacons are enemies with each other. Okay, but not here. We meet together. We love together. I lean on them. They lean on me. And we're going to keep it that way. In fact, Chuck Tharp was really good at that. And when he we went on to be uh, with, with the Lord in heaven, Ben Down says, man, I'm going to miss his leadership and the way he did those meetings. Ain't, it's not changing. Okay, so, you know, we, we're going to take that and move forward, and God will bless our church. Because I want you to know, as goes the leadership in your church, so goes the fellowship. And as goes the fellowship, so goes the fellowship. And what I mean by that is when, when a church is broken spiritually and the leadership is not doing what they're supposed to do, this thing gets ugly fast. And it is not fun to be a part of a church where the leadership is fighting with each other and they're not pursuing God. Now, that being said, today is great because we get to ordain two new deacons. Now, I want to help you understand why that's important that we do that. Because as the church grows, the complexion of it grows, the demographics of it grows, the deacon um, body should look like that. Okay, now there's churches in our area who haven't ordained a deacon in years because the deacons, we've already got our deacons. We don't need no more. Why? Because they want to control everything. And there's no room for control. Jesus controls it all. And if we want to get in the middle of that, we're all in trouble, okay? So we want fresh deacons all the time. Not only that, but as our church grows, it requires more deacons. So as we ordain deacons, we get a larger pool of people who have been ordained into the deacon ministry that we can uh, select and as a body and vote on uh, with, with, with a ballot um, those who will serve for a term because the term is three years. You serve as th three, for three years and then you're ready to take a year off. Okay, and then you can be voted back in place as an active deacon. Now, the reason the ministry of deacon came forward in the early church is because in Acts 2, verse 41, it says, and they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, because the church was growing, deacons were important and deacons were, uh, were placed in, in their positions. Now, now listen, our church is growing, okay? You can look around and see it's growing. God has his hand on us. We grow by, by seeing the unchurched come to Jesus and be saved. Our church is growing by seeing the dechurched find a new fellowship here, de-churched, or people who have an experience with church, got their feelings hurt, drifted out of church, and, and they come back, okay? And then we're growing with 
procreation, you know, fertility in the water. Okay, I, I, shared, I shared, you know, that we have three or four new babies and we have about 10 or 11 in the oven. I mean, it is sweet, but don't drink the water. Okay, so we're growing. And as we grow, it's important that we have deacons who are willing and able to serve and that we have new ones coming on board all of the time. Now, I want us today to see four characteristics of the deacon. Now, why this is important, where are, okay, I see Ben, where's Chris? Right, here's Chris, tucked down over there, okay? That's Ben, that's Chris, you'll see him in a, I don't know why they're going to be sitting in these chairs right in front of God and everybody, okay? Okay, we're going to ordain them today. And so what, what I want to say to you is these four characteristics are for you, too. They're for all of you who have been ordained as deacons, okay, whether active or inactive. They're for me, now listen to this. They're for everybody in here that's a Christian, okay? In part, they're for everybody, but this is mandated for the deacons, okay, and the leadership. The first one on the back of your worship guide, number one is servants of the church. Deacons are to be servants of the church, okay? Now, it is a leadership position, but it's a servant leadership position, and so they are to serve the church. Now, I want you to look in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. We find it in its infancy. It says, now in those days when the disciples were growing in number, that means the church was growing, the early church, a complaint arose. Can you imagine somebody complaining at the church? I'm glad we don't have that now. I mean, at the ball field, in the school, sure, but at church, come on, all right? They were, we didn't invent that either, all right? They were complaining in the church. Now, some complaining in the church is legitimate, okay? And this is a legitimate concern or complaint. So a complaint arose in the church on the part of the Greek-speaking Jews against the native Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, let me explain. Put it in context. In the early church, if you were a widow, <clears throat> first century you, nobody took care of you. There was not a government situation to help you. The church was to champion that. Well, they are seeing exponential growth in the church. And as it grows, the needs grow. And as the needs grow, some of them got left undone. Some of the widows were not being getting in on the rations of food. And so there was a complaint that arose. Now, verse 2 says, so the 12, these are the apostles. Now, let me explain something, okay? An apostle is someone who has had a direct firsthand um, um, a firsthand experience with the resurrected Jesus. So you have the disciples, and then you have uh, Saul, who was converted to Paul on the road to Damascus. He had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. These are apostles. There's, that's not passed on. It's not successive. You don't pass it to someone else. If you don't have a firsthand eyewitness account of the resurrected Jesus in the flesh, you're not an apostle. Okay, so I'm not an apostle, just to clear that up. However, as the church grows and moves forward, the apostle position of apostle has changed to be an overseer, a bishop, or a pastor, which is what I am. Now, he goes on, he says, so these 12, the apostles, today would be a preacher or a bishop or a pastor, um, called the whole group of disciples, the church, together and said, it's not right for us to neglect the word of God to wait on tables. So here's, here's the problem. The leadership, the, the apostles, which be the pastor, says, you know, we're not above serving. And I'll, I'll pause right here and say, I, I, I encourage you to find somebody more willing to serve and do menial tasks than me. I, I, none of that bothers me. I'm way past that. 
I'll haul trash out, throw dirty diapers out, and change. I don't care, okay? I am not too good for that, and you aren't either, even though some of you may think that, okay? We're not too good to do that. But here's the deal. As, as leader, as, as pastor, my number one responsibility is preaching God's word. That is it, prayer and preaching God's word. So if I serve tables all week, in other words, if I do menial labor all week, which I do a lot of it, if I did that all week and Sunday morning comes and I don't have a message prepared and I bring my Bible up here, open it up, Lord, what are we preaching today? Bam, here it is, First Chronicles 7. And I start reading, I, I haven't done my job, okay? So it was the same in the early church. They're saying, listen, we must stay about what we're um, supposed to do. Now, now, let me say this, church. All of you, each one of you, if you're born again, if the spirit of the living God has sealed you, he lives in you, you have been given a gift, okay? You've been given a gift. You're responsible to apply your gift. God wants to employ and deploy you in the kingdom with the gift that he's given you. So you're no different. This applies to everybody. But for the deacon, it's a little different. Now, here's what he says. He said, it's not right for us to wait, wait to uh, neglect the word of God, to wait on tables, verse 3, but carefully select, uh, select from among you brothers, seven men who are well attested, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who you may put in charge of this necessary task. So Ben, Chris, deacons, your job is to handle a task. It's a servant, all right? It's to serve. It's to serve. It's Look at your neighbor and say, a deacon is a servant. Now, he goes on and he says in verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Honestly, deacons, some of y'all sometimes need to say, Joel, we got this. You know, famous last words, I got this. Okay, you need to say, I got this, and tell me to get out, because I'm just getting in the way, okay? It's okay if you tell me that. All right, he goes on, and he tells who these deacons are in verse 5. But look at verse 6. He says, so they, they stood these men before the apostles who prayed and placed their hands on them, which we will do at the end of this service, verse 7. Here is why it's important that the church understands what its responsibilities are in accordance with its gifts. This is why it's important that we all understand what we're here to do. Because when the church is obedient to the commands of God and it does what we're supposed to do one by one, when the preacher does what he's supposed to do, when the deacons do what they're supposed to do, when the Sunday school teacher does what they're supposed to do, when the small group leader does, does what they're supposed to do, when, uh, when the ushers do what they're supposed to do, listen to this, when the parking lot greeters do what they're supposed to do, when the entry greeters do what they're supposed to do, when Carol does what she's supposed to do, when you do what you're supposed to do, listen to what happens in the church. This is our goal. This is our goal. Listen to this. He says, verse 7, the word of God continued to spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly and a large group of priests even became obedient to the faith. Deacon ministry is directly related to church growth. Now you listen to me, church. I will not become spineless. I will not cower down to anybody who says, well, that pastor is just about growing a church. That, that pastor's just about numbers. He just wants a big church. Yeah, I do. I want a big church. Listen to me. If you don't want a big church, listen to me, repent. Repent. Because Jesus died for a big church. Amen? 
Amen. And if you can't get used to a big church, a crowded church here, you might want to recant your statement of faith and decide to go to hell because heaven's going to be a big church. Just saying. Now, if that hurts your feelings, you can come and apologize when it's over. Okay? Jesus died for a big church, and he has not finished building his church. You know how I know why? You know how I know? Because he has not come back for us yet. And he's patient and willing that none should perish, but that all should have eternal life. So he's coming for a big church. Now, I don't make apologies for that. And when we do what we're supposed to do, he will build his church and his kingdom. So deacons, being Chris, isn't that cool? Isn't that cool to know that he's called you out to be a part of that? I hope that sits a fire in you. Church, listen to me. Champion that, to know that the God of everything has chosen to include you to be on this massive forever rescue mission. That he wants to include you to be a part of snatching someone out of the grips of the enemy and placing them on a new path headed to a forever kingdom called heaven. That should just kind of stoke your fire because you know you don't deserve to be given that opportunity because I sure don't deserve it. But that's what he's done. And, And so he has given us all a responsibility. And so I want you to know, deacons, I want you to know, Chris and, and Ben, that he wants you to be a servant to his church. And that's good. That's a good calling, man. It's good. All right? Now, I, I want to show you one passage, and we'll move on, of why this is important, that we do our jobs and we do it well. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3, Nehemiah is, is building this wall, okay? He and his team building this wall. The enemy does not want a wall, and the enemy does not want a great church. So the enemy is always trying to throw interference at what God's doing. And so they come to, the enemy comes to Nehemiah, and he, he won't tell Nehemiah to come off the wall, come down here and meet with us. We just want to talk about this wonderful work he's done called the wall, okay? Nehemiah answers their call in verse 3. He says, so I sent messengers to them. I am engaged in an important work, and I am unable to come down. Why should the work come to a halt when I leave it to come down to you? So deacons, leaders, church, we're on a mission for God. He has got a plan and a purpose for our life. And it, the kingdom of God is the most important thing on the planet. It just is. And so we all do other things, and that's fine. But it is critically important that we keep God's kingdom and his church in the very tops of our priority structure. Now, as a servant, I want you to know, sometimes, you know, we live in a world where it's servant just doesn't sound good. But when we are a servant, we're keeping good company. In fact, Jesus weighed in on the idea of serving. In Matthew 20, verse 25, this is what Jesus said about serving. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes To become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so, deacons, I charge and challenge you to be servants of the church. Church, all of us, I charge and challenge you to serve also. Because that's what we're here for. Number two, a deacon is supposed to be a defender of the faith. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to defend the faith. 
The whole world is upside down throwing darts at the faith, and they've been doing it since the garden, um, since, actually since in heaven, when Lucifer con convinced a third of the angels that he had a better plan. It, he winds up in the garden, and he tries to distort God's word, and he's throwing darts at what God's trying to do. He tries to uh, uh, upset this plan of God, and he still does it today, and he does it against the church. Assault is waged against the church, and, and deacons and deacon wives, I hate to tell you this, but as a deacon, you, you kind of are exposed to a little bit more of uh, the enemy's attack, but it's okay because the one that we serve is the champion, okay? So you don't have to worry about it. You just got to know that so you know to pray and to stand strong. So he's supposed to be a defender of the faith. In Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7, and I'm not going to read the whole context, we find one of the first deacons whose name is, was Stephen. Now, Stephen was an incredible guy. He was an incredible deacon, so much so that people saw God's spirit on him. They, 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 they sensed this special wisdom that he had in his life, and they didn't know what to do with it. So they, they started making false allegations against him. They said, well, he's a blasphemer. He stands against our God. And so Stephen goes before them, and he defends the faith. He defends the church, he defends the apostles, he defends God's word, he defends the gospel itself, and he looks at them and he says, this is the one that you guys killed. Well, so I want to challenge you all to stand strong and to defend the faith. But I want to tell you, it's not always easy, and it doesn't always work out too well. In fact, for Stephen... They took him out in the backyard and they stoned him. I just thought I'd go ahead and tell you the end of the story. So sometimes it doesn't end up quite like you thought. But even in his stoning, the Bible says that Stephen, while being rocked, looked up and saw the throne of God, closed his eyes and went to sleep. Okay? Asked for their forgiveness and went to sleep. Woke up in the, in the arms of Jesus. Now that's good stuff. Okay, even on the worst day, the worst possible scenario, it's beautiful when we do it God's way. Now, to the rest of the church, I want you to know you have a responsibility to defend the faith. You have a responsibility to share with a lost and dying world why there is something different about your life. And if Jesus has saved you from you, if he has redeemed you from your sinful condition, you have a special hope, a confidence. We sang about that Jesus is going to return and that one day we'll find ourselves in the presence of God in heaven. And, and that is, I'm hopeful. And the Greek word is not a wish. It is an expectancy with confidence. I believe with everything in me that one day Jesus is coming back to get me and the church or he's going to take me on home prior to coming to get the church. I believe that. I, I feel it in my, the fiber of my being. Now, if you are that person, if you know that you're born again, that you've been rescued from your sinful condition, you have a God-given obligation to be ready to defend the hope that's in you. So when somebody asks, and they, they should, it, if nobody has asked you, you need to look in the mirror and say, am I doing right? Am I acting right? Somebody should ask you why you act different than everybody else on occasion. Even if it's negatively, even if they want to make fun of you, your life should count when living differently. 1 Peter 3.15 says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So I charge you as deacons, 
to be ready to defend your faith. Now, you'll never be able to defend your faith if you're not reading Scripture on a regular basis. You just won't because you have no ammunition for the world, okay? It's not your brilliance. It's not your ability to articulate. It's the Word of God. That is what combats the enemy. Number three is a witness of the gospel. A deacon is to be a witness of the gospel. Now, in the next episode in Scripture, we find another deacon. This one's name is Philip. Now, Philip, uh, later in Acts chapter 21, is called the evangelist. Now, we, we read the story. We find Philip coming alongside someone. He shares the gospel, shines a light on the gospel truth, and he gets born again. He gets saved. So, deacons, I want to tell you, you have a responsibility to share your faith. Now, you share your faith by living for Christ. You share your, your, your faith by telling of Christ. You share your faith in everything that you do. Now, we talked about this just a, a few weeks ago when we were talking about uh, uh, evangel evangelism or sharing the gospel. We talked about how you can do this thing, okay? Now, we talked about, first of all, you can tell his story, the gospel, okay? Just tell his story, the story of Jesus. Now, maybe you're uncomfortable telling his story. You just don't feel like you've got enough information, Okay, so you don't tell his story. I'm not sharing the gospel. I'm not talking about the origin of sin. I'm not talking about the origin of man and its fall. I'm not talking about Jesus coming from heaven. I'm not talking about blood. I'm not talking about redemption. I don't know anything about that. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not comfortable telling his story because they might ask me questions I don't know the answer to. Then you move to the second one. You tell your story. If you're saved, just tell your story. You don't have to have all the answers. Remember we looked at that? Uh, uh, you, you just simply say, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're asking me. I, honestly, I don't know. All I know is I was a mess. I was lost, going to hell. Jesus came into my life, and he saved me. That's what I know, and he wants to save you too. Smile at him. That's all you got to do. And then the third way, maybe you're not comfortable sharing your, his story. Maybe you're not comfortable sharing your story because maybe you feel your story's a little pitiful. You know, I wasn't a heroin addict who killed my mama. You know, I was just a kid who went to school. I went to church, Sunday school and church, and somebody told me about Jesus, and I got saved. You know, maybe mine's not very beautiful. You have a beautiful testimony. In fact, young people, let me tell you, you want the greatest testimony on the planet? Live your life for Jesus from the time you're a little kid. God will honor that. He'll bless that. You don't have to go down a terrible road to experience a great story. It's a beautiful story. If he rescues you simply from being you, I promise you. All right? So you can't tell his story. You're not comfortable. You can't tell your story. You're not comfortable. Okay, here's the deal. It's real easy. Bring them to church. Simply invite your friends to church. I'll promise you something. I'll tell them. I'll tell him his story. I'll tell him my story. I'll tell him, if I know your story, I'll, I'll rat you out. I'll tell your story. Even if it's a bad one, I'll tell it, okay? Because that's, that's our option. So, so all we know is we've got to share the story. Now, I got to tell you this. When, when, when uh, forever the church was really good about evangelism, about door-to-door -door evangelism. Did anybody ever do door-to-door -door visitation? Anybody part of visitation? Yeah, okay. We don't do it anymore. It's not so much, it's partly, it's not so much because the church is pitiful. It's a little bit that. But the main reason is you can't go to door to door. There's nobody inside the door. They're all running up down the streets, ball practice, going to school, going here, going. Nobody's home. I got to go to Walmart four times a day. You know, nobody's home. So you will waste your whole life knocking on doors without an appointment. But I remember when, when the church that we were involved in initially, they did a thing called continued witness training. Later we did evangelism explosion. And what these words were, these were templates that you would learn scripture. You would learn a format to simply go knock on somebody's door. They come to the door and you say, 
Hey, I'm Joel. I'm with the Central Baptist Church of Hickson. Uh, we're just doing uh, some door-to-door evangelism, and I was just curious about your spiritual condition. You know, if you died tonight, you know, do you feel like you'd go to heaven when you died? You know, like that's not confrontational. Let's just go ahead and cut the job. Are you going to hell if you die today? Just wondering, you know? Are they stoking up the fire for you? You know, you know I mean, that's what it was. And I remember I would come back from these visitation and nobody would get saved. And, and it took me a long time. Finally, a man told me, I'm not responsible for saving anybody. I'm responsible for sharing what saved me. Let God take care of the saving. But I do remember the first person that I ever asked that question and they said, no, I don't know if I'd go to heaven. And I said, well, can I share a story with you? And I, I gave them the presentation. And I said, would you like to ask Jesus in your heart? And she said, I would. And I, I never forget. I was, I, I, it was all I could do to keep them saying, you would? I've been rejected for about 18 months, you know. And I thought it was me. You know, I thought I was messing it up. I can't. Listen, you can't mess up the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. He's a whole lot bigger than you. So even though you may think you mess it up, he can trump you and turn your mess into a message. He does that kind of stuff. So we're responsible, all of us, to, to be witnesses. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you. That's his story. Which also you received and which also you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That's my story. You see, it's scriptural that we are supposed to be evangelists. So I, sh- I charge you, Chris, I charge you, Ben, in your workplace, at the ball field, in your home, uh, with your neighbors, Just be witnesses of the good gospel. Deacons, all of you, the same. Church body, all of us are to be witnesses of the good gospel. Number four is examples to all. A deacon is supposed to be an example for everybody to look up to. In 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 8, it gives us a blueprint for the deacon. Because people are watching, right? Just uh, yesterday, I ran into a couple from Illinois. And uh, they said, uh, we got a question for you. And I said, what? They said, did you build a floating house on Norris Lake at Stardust? And I said, yeah, I've built several of them. And they said, did you build one for Lynn Foster? I said, I did. Why'd you ask that? They're from Illinois. They said, because uh, we were out on the lake one day and saw this floating house and thought it was really cool. And we rode over to it and he let us come in. And he told us who built it. End of story, two years ago. He said, then some friends of ours mentioned your name. And I'm, we're standing here in front of you, and it's you. And I said, is he looking for me? And they said, no. I said, yeah, that's me. All right? Now, I say that story to say this. People are watching your life. They're watching your life. But deacons and deacons' wives, I'm, i got to be honest, they're kind of looking at you too. Okay? You live, we live in a glass house. Preacher lives in a glass house. Y'all live in a glass house. Now, they got curtains on them, so you're okay. Okay? But we live in a glass house. People are watching. And let me say to the church, I'm going to reiterate what I said earlier. Our deacons, I'm very proud of our deacons. I'm going to present them to you in just a few minutes. I'm very proud of them. Man, I love them. I lean on them. They love me and lean on me. But I'm also proud of their families, their children, their wives. And and here in just a minute, it gets a little scary because we talk about some of the qualifications. Let's look at it. He says in 1 Timothy 3.8, he says, In the same way, deacons must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine. 
Okay, let me just pause right there. Come next Sunday, I'm going to preach a message on alcohol consumption. I want you to know what your preacher thinks, where the church stands, and what you can know. You get to choose what you want to do. But I want you to understand the position of the church. And so on this one, much wine, because our wine is different than uh, the wine of the first century church. Abstain. They know. They have to abstain from all alcohol consumption. All leaders do in our church. We set the bar very high. You should be very proud of a church that sets the bar high. And so they know that. So then he goes on and he says, not fond of sordid gain. In other words, just greedy about money and things. But holding the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested. That means they can't be new Christians. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women, wives... Likewise, be dignified, not malicious, gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Let's get that. Y'all don't need any work in that. Y'all do good. Okay. Uh, but so he talks about the wives. Then he goes on. And he says, deacons must be husbands of only one wife. I mean, pause right there because I want you to know the position of the church. What is the deacon of one wife? Forever it was one wife for a life. Today, because we have so many people divorced, there's churches who are moving that a little bit and saying, well, it means not being a regular uh, a regularly divorced person in the past. Okay, in other words, you couldn't have had nine different wives, you know, and you're on your 10th and now you want to be a deacon. We hold to the original contextual view of Scripture that it means one husband, excuse me, one wife for a life. Okay, now let me explain that. Uh, there's, a, there's an argument that can be made that said, okay, what if a guy's lost and he gets married and he gets a divorce and he gets saved? The Bible says he's a new creature, right? Brand new creature. All old things passed away. Behold, all things are new. Okay, now he gets married. Excuse me, get, yeah, he gets saved. He gets married to a saved person. He gets nominated to be a deacon. Why couldn't he be a deacon if he's a new creature before God? Why is he not a new creature before the church, right? That's a really good point. And it is a good point. But here's the only problem. I won't take a man who's been divorced before the church and put him in that position, nor will I drag the church through that discussion because the view of our church has been and is currently um, one wife for a life. Now, that being said, maybe you're here today and you're like, well, you know, I, I, was, I got a divorce once upon a time. That means I can't be a deacon? No, you can't. But let me, let me clarify it. You can do everything else in the church. You can teach a Sunday school class. You can play in a worship band. You can be a greeter. You can be a parking lot greeter. You can be an usher. You can work a sound tech. You can do everything else in the church, everything else in the church. But based on this one scripture right here, you can't be a deacon. And if for whatever reason it swells up inside of you, well, I want to be a deacon. You don't need to be a deacon anyway if that's your position. Let me just tell you. Come to me and say, I think I ought to be able to be a deacon because I've been divorced, but I've been saved. I'll say, fine, find you another church. And go be a deacon in that church. Okay, it's that simple. I don't want to be hard. We just have to be very clear so we don't present confusion in the future. Now he goes on and he says, they must be good managers of their children in their own household. So let me just go ahead. This is very different. This is tougher than divorce. You know why? Because any, on any given day, if you are a parent, you don't feel like you're managing the old household very well. In fact, you think your children are probably going to hell. Okay? And you might think you're going because you're the one brought them here. Okay? On any given moment, you just feel like, man, I'm, I am not doing well with my children, okay? Listen, we are very gracious about our children in our culture. And so if, if your child, Ben, if your child, Chris, if your all's children are on one of those moments in time where they're not acting very Jesus-y, okay, your church is gracious with that. All other deacons and church, you're going to be gracious too. You know how I know? Because I know some of your kids. All right? So when, 
We can't be throwing rocks at each other because of our kids or we all going to be bruised up. Now he finishes up and he says, for those who have, this is why, this is why the deacon position is beautiful, guys. He says, for those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. When we do this thing well, deacons, when we do this thing well, small group leaders, when we do this thing well, parking lot greeters, when we do this thing well, uh, lobby greeters and worship center greeters, when we do this thing well as ushers, when we do this thing as Christians in our world and in our community, listen, our faith swells up. Our relationship with God gets very intimate and very good, but, but it only happens when we do well. Why? Because there's a whole world out there watching they're watching you. Listen to me, everybody in this church. If you profess to be a Christian, I want you to know there is a world who is watching your life. Your little baby children are watching. Your, your small children are watching. Your youth are watching. Your neighbors are watching. Your family, your brothers and sisters, your mom and your daddy, everybody's watching. The people you work with, the people on your team, everybody is watching. And what you do in any given moment can change their forever destiny. I close with this story, and before we get to ordination, it's a funny story, but it's real. Uh, a pastor in our local area, uh, big church, mega church, he, his church bought he and his wife a trip to Hawaii, and they went to Hawaii, and, and he's, he's in his, he was getting ready to retire. He's in his uh, upper 60s. And they went to Hawaii on this, one, this island excursion. There wasn't supposed to be many people on the island. And he said he was walking down the beach, and he told his wife, he says, you know, for 68 years, I've been doing it right. I'm thinking about taking off my bathing suit and walking down this beach buck naked. She said, that's not a good idea. So they walked on down the beach. They'd been there for about 20 minutes. And he hears, Brother Doug, Brother Doug. Somebody from his church was on the same island at the same time. She said, told you. Now, now listen, church, listen, everybody in here. That, that's a funny story. But I want to tell you, sometimes when they watch our life, the result is not so funny. Because what we do affects what other people do. And I want you to know this, deacons, all of this, being a servant, uh, uh, being a defender, being a witness, being an example, it's not what you do. It's who you are. It's who you are. And if who you are is right, then what you do is going to be right on target. And church... This is not what you do. It's who you are. If you are blood-bought, if Jesus, the living God in flesh, died a brutal death on a cross to rescue you, to pay your sin debt, to set your feet on higher ground, to put you on a new forever path, leading into his presence one day, if he did that for you, then, then he expects you to be different so you will do different. So we get to make the choice. And, and so I charge you, deacons, Ben and Chris and other deacons in church, let's be who God wants us to be so we will do what God wants us to do. And he will honor that and he will bless that. And I want you to hear my heart right now. My 
older daughter, Caitlin, is here this morning with her husband, Max, and my younger daughter, Kelsey, and her husband, Clark, are here today. And we were privileged and blessed. God sent us, our family, our little family, 20, 30 years ago, our little family sent us to this great big church that was being who they were supposed to be. And because of that, they were doing what they were supposed to do. And God sent us there, and we got to raise our family in a good church. And I want you to know something. There is nothing, nothing that will compete with being and having your family in a great church. And God's building a great church here. And praise God, it ain't because me or you, it's because that's what he wants to do. And I want you to know as we move forward, if we, if we decide to be who we're supposed to be and do what we're supposed to do, I can't even describe the blessing that will swell up inside of you and the things that we will get to see in the life of his church.